Thomas made up some ground after Hennig had the early lead. Hennig is still staying stroke for stroke. Thomas edging ahead there in lane five. Leah Thomas to the wall first at 47.63 seconds. At the Ivy League Championships, they went head to head. Two student athletes, both of them transgender. Both of them won league titles. Both of them qualified for the big show. NCAA Division I Nationals. On Thursday, they went on the quest to make even more history. March Madness just doesn't happen on a basketball court. It happens in the swimming pool at Georgia Tech. For the University of Pennsylvania's Leah Thomas and for Yale University's Isaac Hennig, this is a week of history and perhaps one of destiny. Whether they win or not is secondary. The primary thing, they are there. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And this week, we have a guest who will bring a very different twist to the news of the last couple months. That's coming in a few minutes. But of course, at the top is March Madness, but not just on the basketball court. And I know we have brackets ready to rock. And later with my guest, I reveal my men's bracket. Now my women's bracket, I'll give that to you right now. Greensboro Regional, taking South Carolina. Wichita Regional, Baylor. In the Spokane Regional, Sid Ziegler would like this. The Stanford Cardinal, the defending national champions, are going to head back to the Final Four. But even though I live in Connecticut, I don't think I should say this too loudly to my neighbors in Connecticut. Because in the Bridgeport Regional, where Connecticut is the number two seed, North Carolina State's number one, neither of them make it to the Final Four. I think Indiana from the Big Ten, the Hoosiers, will get that job done. So, in the Final Four, South Carolina defeats Baylor, Stanford beats Indiana, and that sets up the legendary coach of the future, Don Staley of South Carolina, taking on a legendary coach right now in Tara Vanderveer and the defending champion Cardinal. Gamecocks win it 78-77 in a great game. Sorry, Sid. South Carolina, they got the field covered this year. Now, there's also going to be March Madness in the pool. In Atlanta, Division I Women's Swimming and Diving National Championships started on Wednesday. Now, two of the big stories there will be, of course, Penn's Leah Thomas. Her name's been on a lot of lips in this season. If Thomas wins a national championship, and there's a lot of speculation that her best bet will be in the 500-yard freestyle event. She's also in the 200 and the 100-yard freestyle events as well. But the 500-yard freestyle is considered the top possibility. If she does win a national championship, she'll be the first transgender student-athlete to win an NCAA Division I individual national title. She would be the second transgender student-athlete to take home national championship honors overall. Remember, in 2019... C.C. Telfer from Division II Franklin Pierce won an individual title in track and field. 
Now, for Isaac Hennig out of Yale, he's going to be in the 50 free and the 100 free this week and is considered a long shot to win either event, but a good possibility to earn All-American honors. And as this going forth, the debate and the rancor continues. So does the anti-trans legislation wave. Although, got some good news in the last week. A judge in Texas stopped the calls for investigations of family who affirmed trans youth. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, we need some other things. Like, again, a sport boycott on Texas wouldn't be a bad idea. However, the trans health care ban in Idaho has taken a step forward. A similar law has taken a step forward in Alabama. Um, on Wednesday, there was a demonstration in Atlanta, the site of the Swimming and Diving National Championships, that where people were calling attention to what's going on in the state next door in Alabama. Meanwhile, in Kansas, we've learned from Kansas State Rep and friend of the podcast, Stephanie Byers, that the Kansas State Senate will take SB 44, a trans student athlete ban proposal, onto the floor of the Senate next week. Now, there's speculation that proponents have kind of hedged their bets here because they're waiting to look at what Leah Thomas does in these swimming and diving championships. And that in itself is a piece of ugliness that I regret to see. And not just from legislators, but from people who will be watching the coming competition throughout this week in Atlanta. And again, it begs the question, since we're talking about fairness, and many are saying that word, what kind of fairness does Leah Thomas get? Even after the NCAA is confirmed by every metric and every rule, she has the right to compete. But people still aren't buying it. Even at this late date, even when she is set to take starters blocks, is it fair that she's being castigated? Is it fair that Isaac Hennick was accused of conspiring with Thomas to engineer a certain outcome when their teams met in January? Was it fair that she was in the lens of a peeping Tom in Florida to take pictures surreptitiously of college-age women in bathing suits. Pervs. Yes, in any other context, that would have just been creepy, perverted, and sick. Thanks, Alejandra Caraballo, for that guest a few weeks ago, telling the facts on that ugly scene that went down. And with that, we have to ask that question, is it fair that her results, her motive, and even her body is subject to be used as evidence against her? Keep that last question in mind, especially, because our guest for this week is going to break that down from a unique perspective. Chelsea Poe is a transgender woman, a porn star, an erotic filmmaker, and one of the best in the world. And she's only 30. She was named Why Not Can's Performer of the Year last year, and she has fought for equity for trans people in front and behind the camera since starting in the business 10 years ago. She's dealt directly as a performer and as a creator with the issues of body image and body shaming against trans people and has used her platforms to speak out from the beginning of her career to now. And she's one of the few people who can talk about equity and fairness in porn, how it relates to sports, 
and Michigan versus Ohio State in football in the same sentence. And I'm quite pleased to have her as a guest. Joining us from Las Vegas, Chelsea Poe, welcome to the Transporter Room, Energize. Hello, fuck Ohio. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you about all the connections between sports and porn and everything in between. Okay, well, if that's the case, since you are a Michigan fan, I have a question to ask you. Been a while Who's decade. got it better than us? Nobody. There you go. Well, yep. maybe Georgia. Well, maybe Georgia, but <laughs> <laughs> how was it, Stenson Bennett? I just don't. I don't fully understand that Stenson Bennett's the hero of the like the whole year. I mean, if nothing else, I think there's a movie in that. Imagine this: Tom Holland as Stenson Bennett. <laughs> A bulldog story. Folks, I'm just going to have you know that Chelsea Poe, big fan of Michigan, the leaders and best. Yeah, leaders and best. And has beat Ohio for, I think it's been 800, 900 days since we've been beaten by Ohio. So it's going very good. Well, listen to you. And I'll admit, being a a Northwestern Wildcat alum, I may need calamine lotion after giving love to Michigan. But what was it like for you as a Michigan fan to finally get over that hump, to see Coach Harbaugh get over the hump against those people from that place to the south? It was such a great day. Like, it's been so built up. Um, I remember the last time it happened was 2011. Great day, Denard beat Ohio when they still had um, an interim coach. Very nice. Um, but that it was snowing, it was a blizzard. Um, I had a few family members who are huge Michigan fans who passed away who didn't see I Ohio State um, didn't lose to Michigan in that time since. So it was all these emotions that last Hassan Haskins touchdown just like tears started pouring it was just like honestly one of the best days and like the crowd storming the field it was just it couldn't have been honestly any better like best machine game of my life where were you when that happened i was at my apartment in san francisco um it was a very early game for us because um we're on the west coast so it was like 9 a.m and Honestly, I didn't think it was going to happen. I listened to pregame shows, even by Michigan players. And they're like, there's no way it's going to be this year. We're good. We're going to go to a nice bowl. It's going to be all right. But when it happened, it was just unbelievable until honestly, that last Hassan Haskins touchdown, I was just waiting for something to go wrong because being a Michigan fan this last decade has been the worst just ups and downs. Like the Michigan state fumble was super terrible. The, when JT um, Barrett was short by like half a yard, that was terrible. Um, the <laughs> 2019 game, I was so sure they were going to win. And then they just got completely destroyed and lost by like 30 some points. So it was just so long built up. And all my family was texting me after being like, we're going to win a national championship <laughs> and everything. So it was, it was a moment. You've probably heard about what's been going on. I mean, of course, first, first, what's your thoughts on what you're seeing in the landscape in regards to to begin with all this legislation that's out there? I feel like 
the only real community that can protect queer people is ourselves. And I feel like neither party is doing enough to really stand for us and really be with us when we're going through these hard things. And I think it has, ex- has like shown itself in the past with like the whole AIDS epidemic and just even with gay marriage, like I was a huge Obama supporter and I saw him in high school when he ran his first time and I would like cried and stuff, but even he was running with not gay marriage being like on his platform. So I just feel like there's so much that within our own community, we really have to do ourselves. And I feel like this is just another example of it that they're going to try to ban trans kids or try to ban trans people from sports or whatever else really possible. And I just don't think either party is going to really do anything to save us. So I think the thing that gives me hope is just like our queer community actually doing stuff for ourselves. How do you answer to those who say, wait a minute, you do porn. You're not in the, you're not in the debate. You're not in, you shouldn't even be in the discussion. You're all wrong for the community. How do you answer the people who may come at you like that? Because trans porn, it's inclusion push in the last decade has gotten trans people to, in our industry, we have no ceiling anymore. The biggest trans film, um, the biggest award at AVN, which is our version of like the Oscars or almost the Olympics because you have everyone from around the world coming in. So there's people flying in from Europe. There's people flying in from South America, people flying in from Japan. So the biggest... Um, prize they have is called Grand Rail, which is the best film of the entire year. And it went to a trans film this year with basically no backlash, which looking at where it was a decade ago when I got in, it was still calling trans women slurs. It was still excluding us from being on stage at AVN. There was just so much stuff set against us and really just putting us into a marginalized little box. So because of the work of trans performers and activists, we've really been able to do whatever we wanted kind of in porn where now we can win the biggest thing and there's really no backlash. But a lot of the backlash I immediately received is a lot that going towards trans athletes now saying it's going to ruin sports forever. No one's going to want to watch sports anymore. And just all these like really kind of out there things when these people aren't even a fan of, for example, Ivy league swimming. I don't think there's that many Ivy league swimming fans. I want to talk about that a little bit since you since you brought Leah Thomas into this. Yeah. Let's chop that up. What's your thoughts first on just in general, how she's been received and some of the things she's dealt with, but also in a smaller sense, what's your thoughts as someone who directly works with bodies? What's yeah, your thoughts I... on how, in a sense, her body has been speculated upon in the press and in the uh, in the press, it's been speculated upon over and over again. What's your thoughts on that? That's what they're going to do to trans people. That's always what they're going to do. And even if you do have passing privilege and all this stuff, which it's nearly impossible in porn because you're going to eventually see me naked. There's just all these assumptions that go upon our bodies. And it's, you know, at best being re- reduced to sexism and how hot you are or all that stuff. And I feel like we've seen that in sports a lot. Like even with Serena and Venus, like they've gotten so many things about like the size of their bodies and thighs and all this stuff. I just feel like there's so much 
you know, just misogyny placed upon women's bodies in sports. You never hear anyone talking about Kevin Durant's feet that are very, very interesting looking. You don't hear people talking about LeBron's broken toes. Or even if you do hear about like uh, male athletes in a way, it's like, oh, well, they have an advantage because their body's perfect, like Michael Phelps. So I just feel like there's so much sexism just placed on women's bodies, whether it's in a pop star, a porn star, an athlete, kind of wherever it's coming from. I feel like we just get this whole nother layer. And with being trans, you get all like the transphobia on top of the regular sexism, you know? Oh, I can oh, I can relate to that yeah. very well, but I, but in the case of this person went gut reaction. Yeah. To how Lee has been treated. Just gut reaction. Oh, it's completely awful, but like when you're one of the first people, you're going to get all this shit. And I feel like going through that in the porn industry it just really made me realize this is just repeating itself. It's not about you, it's about them being mad at something online that they don't really care about these people who were mad at me for making inclusion important. They weren't members of these websites. Just like all the people who are mad about Leah are being like, I'm so upset. Do you know what this means for Ivy league swimming? It's like, I don't know. I just can't get that worked up over a minor um, conference swimming championship. And also if trans women really had it, huge advantage you don't think bam is going to bring in every trans woman possible to dominate the sec <laughs> in whatever sport I like mean, if trans if trans women were the best quarterback nick saban would have like five trans women around him right now you know <laughs> now that now i wonder though let's talk about that mm -hmm. let's say that there's some trans boy who's in say gross point Kills it okay. in high school, and then next thing you know, he's a Michigan Wolverine. That would be terrific. And he's just starting, and he and he's just starting quarterback. How would people? I'm how how do you think your average cisgender college football fan would would receive that? Would the phobia still be there? I think so. <laughs> with honestly, with Michigan fandom, if he's beaten Ohio State. Notre Dame and Michigan State, they're going to be like, yeah, welcome in. We don't care if you're trans. As long as you can beat the shit out of Ohio State, <laughs> we're for it. Like, I feel like, like that's kind of always been the vibe of Michigan. But also, I feel like there has been multiple things throughout Michigan history where there has been a really concentrated thing to be like, we need to do the right thing. And I think compared to some other schools, such as Ohio, lacking strong Midwestern values. I feel you like we do the... You, you yeah. said you were going to go there, so you went there. <laughs> I'm going to bring that up multiple times. Um, I just feel like Michigan has always tried to do things the right way or try to do it in a better way. So I would really hope that the fan base would be fairly accepting. There's a certain basketball coach who will probably listen <laughs> to this and applaud right now. There's there's a good good friend of the podcast, Lane Ingram, coaching okay. at, Lansing, at Lansing Community College up in Michigan. Great guy, Pioneer Award winner from Outsports last year, and oh. a huge Michigan fan. Huge That's the way big, to be. You've called for accountability in your own career and yes. in your own ascendancy as a performer as a, and as a producer and as a filmmaker. For example, um, 
you start in a position to get websites to get rid of the slurs, things like tranny and shemale. Yeah. First, what led you to take that on? Because at the time you took that on, you were 22 dang years old. I think part of it's being from Michigan and being a little naive. I'm from a very small town named Holland, Michigan. It's like 30,000 people. Um, I just felt genuinely like, oh, if I explain to these people that these are slurs and harmful for trans people, they'll understand and they'll totally accept that. I was very wrong about that. I'm very naive at 22, but I'm very happy I ultimately did say all that stuff, but I don't think I could have imagined the whole backlash and being blacklisted by multiple companies and kind of all of that stuff that went with it. But I think a lot of it's just kind of being a little naive and just kind of idealistic, which I feel like moving from the Midwest to California, you can definitely come into that with that mindset. What led you to just take that on? I think the people who I was influenced in to get into porn with, um, like I saw people like Sasha Gray and Stoya who were super outspoken and are like, I want to be in this industry, but I want to do it on my own terms and I want to still have my voice. So I think that's what really made me want to get involved in this industry because I felt like I could make a real difference. Like they did for more like cis porn that I could try to do that for trans porn. And yeah, I just always thought, I'm like, why are why are these slurs allowed here? But if you said it on the street, people would be like, wow, it's a slur. That's really offensive. So honestly, the first award I went to was named the Tranny Awards. Ew. So like, Ew. yeah, right? I'm like, Ew. not good. So um, it's changed a lot. And now there's like no slurs in trans porn really anymore. And yeah, trans women can kind of do anything now. Like that the Grand Reel went to a trans film and there wasn't really any backlash. It just kind of blows my mind how different it is. And just honestly, I think it's in such a good place now. What can erotica, in a sense, teach sports in regards to how we deal with this, how we look at this, and also how do we not demean and objectify? Yeah, I think it's honestly just having trans athletes around and working with other athletes. It's that's what changed in porn. It's cis performers are working with trans performers. It's like, oh, we're in the same industry. We're doing all the same stuff. So when that started happening, there wasn't this like outside backlash anymore because they kind of got bored of it because like i was the first trans woman on the alternative porn site god's girls and there were strip campaigns to be like we need to keep the site pure from people who weren't members of the site wait a minute so wait a minute. stop stop for a minute yeah keep the site pure of trans pure. Women, yes ah! yeah wait a minute. it's an old porn pure, site yeah pure and porn yeah not exactly two words that always go together but it's not really about the trans people being in this or being in sports. It's about this like outrage culture that just wants to go after trans people, I feel like. And eventually it, they move on to the next thing that they'll get mad about. So I feel like it's just really going to be, you're going to have a few trans athletes right now. I think there's probably eventually going to be more and it's just going to become normalized. It's not going to be a big deal if a trans woman wins a, you know, regional MMA tournament. Like, now I feel like there's like this searching of these people online who want to find any trans person winning anything and being like, this isn't fair. That's impossible. Trans women are dominating everything when someone like Leah won an Ivy League conference championship. 
that's great. It's great she has that. Hopefully she gets a shot at some Olympics someday or something like that. Well, there's one thing. This week, she has a shot at a Division I national title. Will that, that is true. view change a little bit? I mean, if she wins it, that's terrific. But like, I think people are going to be on to the next news story. I honestly do. There's going to be another thing that happens, and then everyone's going to be mad about this, or J.K. Rowling's going to tweet something awful, <laughs> and everyone's going to be on to that. Like, so I don't short, know. So in short, many ways, you're saying chill out. Yeah. Chill I think out. there's a lot of people who just are angry online, and it doesn't have that many real life connotations but hopefully she wins that would be terrific but i don't know i can't get fired up about ivy league sports someone was trying to debate it with me a few days ago and i looked up i'm like who's like the most known ivy league athlete and apparently it's jeremy lynn and apparently he's still in santa cruz in the g league right now so i'm like okay i know what you're saying and i'll admit yeah your big 10 michigan provincialism is coming out let's be let's be fair about that yeah, I'm. I also live like in San Francisco, so I'm like surrounded by Stanford and Cal. Where I'm just like, I don't know. Also, I had the hype of like Big Ten champions. It's gonna be great. And then what Georgia did to them, I just feel like sports down there are just taken so much more seriously than everywhere else. Since you mentioned Stanford, mm-hmm. and since we're and, and since we're talking about this issue, I. I want to get your take on something that actually was written by by a kid at Stanford. Mm-hmm. By on this on this issue. I want to talk about Brooke Ford for a second. Now, Brooke Ford, swimmer at Stanford, uh, a four-time national champion, a mm-hmm. 15-time All-American, and was a medal winner in Tokyo last year for Team USA as part okay. of a relay team that got a silver medal. Her and Leah could go head to head in one mm-hmm. event for a possible national championship Thursday, the 500 freestyle. And she had a statement ready to go via her dad, noted Sports Illustrated writer Pat Ford. Oh, and yeah. This is what Brooke, and this is what Brooke had to say Quote, I have great respect for Leah. Social change is always a slow and difficult process, and we rarely get it correct right away. Being among the first to lead such a social change requires an enormous amount of courage, and I admire Leah for her leadership that will undoubtedly benefit many trans athletes in the future. In 2020, I, along with most swimmers, experienced what it was like to have my chance to achieve my swimming goals taken away after years of hard work. I would not wish this experience on anyone, especially Leah, who has followed the rules required of her. I believe that treating people with respect and dignity is more important than any trophy or record will ever be, which is why I will not have a problem racing against Leah at NCAAs this year. First, gut reaction to that. I mean, it honestly sounds like a lot of what I heard in my industry when trans inclusion started happening. Like, there were quite a few performers who were especially established and have won AVNs and stuff who were like, of course I want to work with trans people. Of course trans people are welcome in this industry. So I feel like the more just people are around trans people, the more they realize all these scary misconceptions aren't true. Because I feel like most people don't actually, who have all these like wild takes on trans people, I feel like most people haven't met one or like trained with one or had any of these experiences. 
So I think there's just going to be more and more of that as time goes on, honestly. Where, take me deep into that because you saw that, that shift happen. Yeah. You grew into that shift to the position where you are now. What changed emotionally? What changed mentally? What, what became different? What adjustments got made for people to be able to be at that mindset? I think it just started happening once all these like different awards and stuff really started nominating trans women outside of their specific genre of like best trans performer, best trans scene and everything. And I think you saw that at the same time, there were larger studios that were also bringing trans people in and being like, Oh, we're going to treat this the same way we treat anything else. We're going to, you know, have them work with all sorts of people. We're not going to just kind of treat it like a fetish that it was really being treated when I got into this industry. It was very much, you were kind of inserted and it was like, you have to do this for five minutes, this for five minutes. And that's what our users want. Where now we're really kind of given the same agency as women are, where it's really about what do you want to do? What's your actual fantasy? What's your actual sexuality? So we can actually depict that and actually have something positive out of this and treating trans people as people and giving us the same storylines that cis people will get written for them. I think that's just a really big change. And it was really over only like two or three years where in like 2015, we were still dealing with all this stuff. And then by the time it hit like 2017, 2018, we were in a much better spot. And then this last year, it really just took down all the ceilings. Like, I don't think there's really any limit to what trans women can accomplish in porn anymore, which is really crazy because there's ceilings for us in all other parts of life. So yeah, I think it's just, I'm just feeling more positive than ever about this industry. And I really hope it can provide an example um, of what can happen in other parts of society. Coming up, where, where did you see the ceilings? Um, it was very much when I first got into it, you were really only limited to working with these four or five companies that use names like Shemail and Tranny. And you could only get nominated for these awards. And even the idea of being like, oh, I want to do lesbian porn. It was like, well, you can't, you're trans. There can't be trans women who are lesbian or doing straight porn. Or, um, I was working for a company, um, kink.com. And I was uh, submissive. So I came in there. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is all the stuff I, I want to do. And they're like, well, you're trans. You have to be a dom. That's the only way it works, right? <laughs> it's just like, no. So, so. so let me get this right. You Coming up, they told like, no, you have to be this carrier, this 100%. character type. Now, yeah. when, it, when we're talking about like at the gut level bodies, was it all the same? Is it still that way? What has changed in regard? For example, in, in the many things you do, there's a lot of different sizes involved. There's a lot of different mm -hmm. body configurations involved. When first, what was it like for at the beginning for you, juxtaposed to where we're at now in the sense, the evolution that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, it was very much so rigid to be like, you have to, you know, really appeal to like a whole straight male kind of chaser audience. And it's like Ew. a surprise that you're trans and shit. I'm like, this is gross as hell. I don't want anything to do with this. But when I like first came out um, to California to do all this stuff, I was also making my own productions on the side with um, Trouble Films. 
and my um, friend Ava Lafem at Crashpad series. So we just really made it ourselves. And I'm like, I want to do a threesome scene or like a gangbang scene. And I just made those things happen on my own as opposed to waiting for some other company to kind of make them happen. You know what I mean? So, so in a sense, you build it yourself now. A hundred percent. Yeah. This is something we talked about. How do you feel about those who say, you know what? Why don't you trans just have your own damn league? Oh, I have a better one. So I kind of like what porn has done. So they've actually expanded the trans categories. So now there's like best new trans performer as well as there being like a best new starlet at um, AVN or Expos. So they expanded the trans um, categories. So there's more trans women being nominated than ever and trans men being nominated than ever. But we're also allowed to be in all the other categories. So I'm like, as much as I think it's terrific that there's people like Leah who are doing these things in with inclusion in sports, I would love if there was in the Paralympics or the Olympics, if there were specific trans men and trans women categories, because I would love to just watch who's the strongest trans woman in the world. I would love to watch that. Or like all these sports where I don't have to see any cis people. Like, I really want both aspects to it. I don't know if that's ever going to be possible, but that's kind of what happened in trans porn and just porn as a whole, where you can have a trans woman win the biggest award, but also be able to have 15 trans women nominate for one other award. You know what I mean? No, but now there are going to be those. And I'll admit, I'm one of those people would say mm-hmm. that. It's like, when you get separate, you don't get equal. I want both. I want as many trans people included as possible. So I think um, it's great that there's inclusion and I think there should be a push for inclusion. But I think it's also if we can create a specific space for trans people, that there's always going to be a set amount of trans people in whatever Olympics or at NCAA program. I think that's a great thing because I feel like it's going to take a while for there to be even a dozen trans athletes in the Olympics. Like, I think that's going to be at least 10 years down the road. What do you think is going to be the biggest barrier to that? And I want you to come from the, from the perspective of the barriers that you faced coming up in, coming up in porn and coming up in not only performing, but making it. Yeah. I think it's going to be the the biggest ones. I think it's going to be the first wave that's just going to be so difficult that there's going to be athletes like Leah who are going to get attacked all the time, have all this crazy shit happen to them. It's kind of happened in the porn industry, but in the porn industry, so many girls were run out of porn, essentially. I think for a lot of people, they just got so mentally burnt out that they just had to leave the industry. And I think there's probably going to be a lot of trans athletes that face the same things where let's say you're a good athlete and you could be at like a Sunbelt school is that worth it to you to go through all of the stuff you're going to deal with from the press over going to, you know, being a swimmer at middle Tennessee state or something. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be kind of pushed out of sports for you. What was it like for you dealing with some of that vitriol? Uh, See, I think that's where my Midwestern work ethic got back to it where I was like getting all this hate, but my response was like, I'm just going to work harder. So I did that for like six years. And then I kind of ran into mental health issues as you would imagine that would happen. So then I kind of just had to go to a therapist and work all this out for the last 
few years and I think I'm in a pretty good spot now, but just when you're dealing with the, all that harassment, it's hard not to personalize it and internalize it. So I think for me, it was just really kind of that whole Michigan work ethic where it's like, I'm just going to get to doing what I do and just keep my head down and just work as hard as I can. With that in mind, I want to think about something because in doing a lot of the research for this, you leaned heavily, not just on yourself and that work ethic, but you also leaned on something Bo Schembechler talked about a great deal. The team, the team, the team. Yeah. You had support around you. Talk a little bit about the support you had coming up and how you stayed with that support as you've built the things you've built. Yeah. I don't know where I would be without um, Courtney Trouble as my collaborator. We've literally since like the first month I moved here, we've been making projects together and just um, it's such a special thing when you find someone who can collaborate with that always gets what you're trying to explain and talk about and really just behind your ideas. I've, I don't think I ever had an idea that they were like, oh no, we shouldn't release this. We shouldn't do this. It's always been just um, all of us, both of us being on the same state, on the same um, just mindset and everything. And we've gone to travel the world together with our films and go to all these award shows and just like do all this really wild stuff that, you know, you just don't really think you're ever going to have a chance to. And then um, currently I have a um, BDSM collective called the East Bay Brats. It's um, me and myself. It's me, Lead Electress, Ruby Riots, um, Juniper, and Courtney. And yeah, we just do everything ourselves. And there's no like one running it. It's just a complete collaborative thing. And yeah, that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of, just making an all-femme BDSM collective that we don't have anyone like when I worked at Kink being like, you need to do this or you need to do that. It's just really whatever we want to make creatively together. It's the Red Alert Klaxon. we got to take a break, give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, we're going to look in deep into the Chelsea Pole story. How they got to where they are, how they became a Michigan fan, and what's their bracket looking like. That and more to come. This is the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Stay with us. And we're back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Joining us this week, Chelsea Poe, noted filmmaker, noted erotic filmmaker, performer, and award winner. Thank award you, winner. yes. Why Not Cam Performer of the Year, October 2021. What was it like to be named the best at what you do? It's a lot, honestly. Um, so it was our first award show back from the pandemic. And I was really just like, I want to go. I just want to be like, have this experience of normal life again for a minute. 
Um, usually in porn, we have like two or three award shows a year. So it kind of becomes a normal part of life. And I'm like, oh, maybe we have a chance. And yeah, we ended up winning. Um, I brought my partner and my assistant. And yeah, it was really nice. We like literally just drove to LA the night before, um, ate at this really nice steak place. And then the next night we won. So it was like a really good celebration. And yeah, it was like two or three days of just like feeling very, very positive. Now, I always wondered, how do you prepare for a shoot? Because I remember you were telling me in research for this that in pre-interviews, it's a lot like getting ready for a ball game. Or oh, 100%. For a well, take me through the Chelsea Poe workout to get ready to do a shoot. Okay, so do you want like actual gym workout or do you want like physical body all getting the, ready? All the all the above. Make it as comprehensive as you want. Okay, so I work out four to five times a week. I run, I do a run or walk of five k every day. I do a bike of five k. I do some medicine ball work, and then I do yoga every day essentially, um, just to be fully in my body. And I work on meditation a lot. Um, I've really took a lot from sports psychology, just trying to be in my best mental place where I can access all these things my body can do. Um, before a shoot, like let's say I have a scene coming up, I'm doing anal or something. I have a butt plug in. I think it's like four hours a day for a full month, essentially, because you just need to exercise all these muscles that you're going to use um the day of you can't eat anything obviously you have to go switch all um, clear liquids and then you usually do an enema of maybe 10 or 15 minutes before the scene and then um it's as much important as with working out to have the aftercare and making sure your body's in the right place so i do a lot of um like epsom bath salt soaks a lot um that really seems to help my body but after a shoot, you just almost have to take a few days to just recover and really just feel like where your body is before you get kind of into the next round. And I think particularly during the whole pandemic, it's just been more difficult just trying to figure out what's safe to do and the right thing to do when there's not that much guidance where you can get tested before and know your partner's negative, but there's still obviously a chance when you're making out or kissing or doing a scene with somebody that you just don't really know where they've been before, whether they're on a flight from the other side of the country or whether they shot with someone last week. So I think the pandemic has obviously made it harder, but there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. Yeah. How did the pandemic affect you as a person and affect you as a performer? I mean, I think it made me stop things, which I never thought everything was going to stop. I was going to Europe like two times a year before I travel before the pandemic happened. I was probably flying out like once every two months to go somewhere, whether it's here in Vegas, whether it's going down to LA to shoot something, whether it's going um, to the East Coast. It was really nonstop travel, probably since the time, probably since like 2000. 14 2015 so it was about six years in at that point so it was really just being in one place for i think i still haven't left the time zone since the pandemic happened so it's just really stopping everything and really just trying to figure out 
it, what are you getting from this? What do you want from this? What were you covering up emotionally maybe with work and all that? So for me, I just really had to go to my therapist, figure out a bunch of stuff and just really kind of work on all the things that I was maybe too busy to or maybe were was avoiding. Performing-wise, um, I've only had four or five shoots since the pandemic, so it's been kind of slow. Um, I think the thing I really get out of it more than anything is just going on set and having that creative experience with three to four other people who are not only your perform your um, co-performer, but that you're having this whole like crew on set and really just getting back into that whole thing where you feel like you show up on set and you really created something special that's going to be released someday and people are going to enjoy it. I feel like that's the biggest thing for me since that just that true feeling of collaboration with people who you really usually adore. And those are the people you're usually working with. So yeah, I think that's probably been the biggest thing for me since the whole pandemic and just kind of reevaluating performing. What do you think your biggest sports moment was? Um, like as an you athlete, as a person, or... you as an athlete. Okay, so in so I played soccer like everyone. I feel like growing up. So I was, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year of high school. It was the last year I played because I kept getting hurt because I'm really tiny. I'm only like five six, and at the time I only weighed like a hundred pounds. So it obviously didn't work out when people were running into me and stuff. So um, through sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, we lost to our rival high school, the rival school every single year. And then we were in the middle of a rainstorm. It was like downpouring, you can see in front of you. And we beat them three to one. And yeah, that's probably my favorite sports memory that I have from actually like being an athlete. And we finally beat them. We beat the Granville Bulldogs. It was a very big, <laughs> very big deal for me. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to be getting a lot of people from Granville, Michigan, like emailing saying that's Fuck not em. the way it happened. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> I have to admit, you truly are a Wolverines fan because you people yeah. hate pretty dang good, especially those people down south. I'm just wondering how in the world. Okay, let me get this straight. You probably came out of the womb singing the victors. That yeah, maize my that maze and blue adorned your life. Yeah, my first pair of baby shoes that were like this big, it has an M and then it says go blue on, on the bottom of it. Like mm -hmm. you're born into it here. There wasn't any choice ever. Yeah. So how in the world did you end up here? What I mean, what 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 was the story? Because I have okay. a feeling this would be fascinating. What was the what was the origin story? So basically, I think the origin story was I graduated high school in the middle of the Great Recession in the Midwest. So our employment rate in Michigan was like 15% at the time. So I was trying to go to college to kind of get into music. I was in multiple bands at the time and like I was doing like DIY concert promotion and all that stuff. So at some point I needed to figure out money and I couldn't get a job anywhere. Um, first off being trans, um, 
like no one wanted to hire a trans person. I had no job experience because I just graduated high school. And I was doing this concert promotion thing on the side and just like, it was okay. It was like barely paying my rent. And then um, I had a few people suggest for me to get into camming. And my girlfriend at the time was like, let's do it. I was like super apprehensive about it. And then I just started doing that. And I was like, oh, wow, I actually have more money now. I don't have to worry about like missing rent. I don't have to worry about like being too broke for like buying food and stuff. Before that, what led you to say, I got to transition. I got to move forward. What got you there? So I like came out when I was like 12. (laughs) So I, well, yeah. Yeah. Like 12 to my girlfriend's family who was like really cool with that stuff. So I came out to my um, mom and stepdad and the rest of my family. It was um, on the, do you remember the David Tyree Super Bowl? Oh yes. Yeah. I came out that day. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. No, wait a minute. I want to, I want to walk through this for a second. Yeah. On the on the same day of Super Bowl 42. Yes. You know, a day where a certain graduate of the University of Michigan had yeah, an actually, undefeated season shot out from under him was the same day. <laughs> I came out came to my family to to my family, yeah. Um so I gotta hear actually, this story. I'm I even have I even have a deeper um Brady story. So the first game I ever went to, I was eight years old. My grandpa took me to see um, Michigan play Rice. And the starting quarterback that day was Tom Brady. And he walked out and everyone was booing him because they wanted Drew Henson to start. <laughs> what? It's just like, it's like the funniest thing to look back on and be like, no one in that stadium would have ever been like, Tom Brady's going to be the greatest football player ever. Yeah. So I came out that day. Um, it was people's like didn't know in the Midwest what to do about it. So I was like went to a therapist and they're like, well, you need to be straight if you're trans. And I was like, well, I don't know about that. Wait, wait a minute. Okay. You were actually told that because Yeah, basically. You're actually told that because you know back in 2015, that interview you did with trans ethics. I'm a dyke because I know I'm a dyke, not because someone is yeah. telling me I am. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've always dated women. Essentially, I dated one trans guy in high school for like, I mean, in college for like a month, and then I was like, fell fell for this girl, and I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been out in every single relationship I've been in. So because yeah, my first girlfriend, I was like in seventh grade. And then we dated until I think junior year. And then ever since that as well, I've been out. So, yeah. Interesting you bring that up because they hit Leah Thomas with the same thing when apparently one of her teammates anonymously said to one of the news sources that, that her teammates had gone to anonymously that, that she's still into women. And they made it sound like it's a bad thing. I want yeah. you to take on that. I mean, that. that's always been a thing. I I think it's just being a trans woman, you're going to deal with all the transphobia if they view you as trans. And then if you're not, you're just going to deal with sexism <laughs> and people down talking you because you're a woman and they're like, you don't know anything. So I think it's just kind of the double of that. Um, yeah, I feel like 
I can't remember what the name of the basketball documentary is, but it's about a women's basketball team. And there was a coach who was explicitly like, we can't have any women on the team. I think it might've been Penn state. Rene, um, Rene Portland. Yeah. Rene, yeah. That's Rene yeah. Portland right there. That sounds like her. Yeah. And I remember watching that and like a lot of the same stuff that's like, well, lesbians can't be in sports because they're too masculine and stuff. It's like the same stuff that's basically being recycled on trans women. Well, so that, that's one thing we both have in common being trans and being lesbian. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, but there was something you said now talk about the intersection between homophobia, misogyny and transphobia. Where do all yeah. those, where do those three things collide here? I mean, I think it's with an athlete like that, or I even feel like it's other lesbian athletes. Like, um, it'd be remiss not to talk about Brittany Griner right now and what she's going through in Russia. I feel like with Brittany Griner, there were so many people who were misgendering her, doing all this really messed up stuff about her, even when she was still in college and being like, well, she's as tall as LeBron and she's this weight and she can't be a woman because of this, you know? And it's just like, there's always this, especially put on black women athletes. And it's just so completely unfair and just rooted in both racism, misogyny and transphobia because it's always never being like, oh, wow, why are they such a strong woman? It's always like, well, they have to be a man then. Someone actually came up and asked me, do you think Brittany Griner could pass a gender test? And I looked at them like they were from Mars. I was like, oh, why would she want one? Why would she need one? Yeah, right. I just don't. <laughs> and going back to your own to your own story. So you knew at a young age and went forward on it. Yeah. And went and went forward. How much pushback did you get? Um I had a really like homophobic stepdad, but he was kind of out of my life when my parents got divorced. <laughs> so that definitely helped. But um I don't know. I feel like I just always kind of had different things that I was so into um, with. I kind of got out of sports for a while, honestly, once I came out as trans, because I just felt like there was nothing really there for me. I just always viewed it as very like Republican and like right wing and all this stuff. I still watch Michigan games because like that's my heart and soul. But I kind of like honestly pushed back a little bit like when I was like 17, 18, 19, 20 where like I'd maybe watch mission games, but that's basically about it. And then it honestly wasn't until like, I would say probably 2013 that I started to get back into sports. Um, the writer, Dave Zirin, um, I started reading some of his work and it was really about sports from an activist perspective and a far left perspective. And I felt like a lot of it was connecting with me because I'm like reading about all these athletes who are getting you know, blacklisted and all this stuff for speaking out. And I was like, wow, I'm kind of going through some of the same things being blacklisted by these companies when I started using my voice. Dave Zirin, by the way, one of my favorite authors. Yeah, one of my favorite amazing. writers. Yes, he definitely is. And by the way, Dave, um, you've got an open invitation. Come on the transporter room. Please, yeah, will, please go be, on it, Dave. I, I will be how about how about let's do a home and home, Dave? Fact, <laughs> yeah. In fact, Chelsea, I know I'm not a performer, but I would be honored to do a home and home with you. Yeah. Because I've listened <laughs> to your podcast and I think Oh, it's, that's I'm, great. I listened to a lot of your podcast in preparing for this interview and I learned a lot. Like I said, this Yeah, I learned a lot on that be, podcast to be honest. Like 
there's just so many reasons people get into this industry and just kind of like with sports, you just discover all these things. Like particularly in porn, the thing that really surprised me was, you know, in sports, you see someone in the Olympics and speak and it's like, oh, well, their mom was a skier who was in the Olympics. Their dad was and their grandparents were. Like there's that same stuff in the adult industry where I've talked to someone who's three generations deep of being a performer and it makes sense that someone who would be naturally really amazing at this job would be connected to it through generations. Now let's get these brackets out because you know, NCAA tournament starts Thursday. I'm curious who you got. First off, first round upsets. Who do okay. You first round upsets. There's a few wild ones. Okay, okay, small one, Memphis. I feel confident on Memphis beating Boise State. Memphis is like a traditional basketball school. I feel good about it. I think they're going to get their shit together in time. Um, I have a Kenny big... Kenny Hardaway head coach, by the way. Yeah. Kenny it. I I really love that that's happening more in college basketball and college football, that you're having these like iconic people from the past who are now coaching their alma mater. It just makes me so happy. Yeah, I look at that Michigan staff you just named. That's like a who's who of Michigan football last 25, it really is. years. Yeah. And you look at like Jim Harbaugh, head coach at Michigan, <sighs> Deion Sanders, head coach at Jackson State. I absolutely love what Deion Sanders is doing with Jackson State and that there's like more um, top recruits going to HBCUs. It's just such a cool thing that I think is happening in college football right now. I would agree with that. But see, but I disagree with you on this 8-9 game in the West region. I think the Broncos are going to get this. I'm looking for the big upset. What's the, big upset. What's the, Cinderella, what's the Cinderella you got? Vermont. <laughs> I think, gonna, I think they're going to rate. I think they're going to have a long run. I think I have Vermont all the way until the sweet 16. <laughs> okay. Now you got to give me an explanation. Why Vermont? The Catamounts. It's a great name. I just feel like they're going to be the one they did it like 10 years ago as well, where they had this run where they got like two or three rounds in. I think they beat Michigan State, and I remember seeing that, and I felt very good about that. So I think, why not? Why not Vermont? Here's some first-round upsets I've got. West, West region, I say I'm tempted to take Vermont, but I've seen too much of Arkansas to think that Vermont's going to get that one. I think it's going to be close, <laughs> but I see the Razorbacks clipping them. I think no matter who comes out of that Notre Dame Rutgers play-in game, they're going to get Alabama. I see that. It, it's going to be Rutgers. I okay. I okay. <laughs> In that case, I think the Scarlet Knights are going to get. A, if it's them, are going to get them over Alabama. I see. Really? I see them get. I, I'm not. I'm not feeling Alabama. I'm just not. I'm not feeling them. Now farther down, I'm going to call this one. Because, because a lot of people see Purdue getting far. I think Yale's going to clip them in, the, in that opening round. I wow, think Ivy, really? I think you're Ivy, the Ivy League champs impressed me in the Ivy League title game. I've gotten to see a good deal of Yale since I live near Yale. They've been good. They've been, When that team gets it together, they play like a team that's a high mid-major. They play like a Big East team. They're built like a Big East team. Just a smaller Big East team. I think... I think, and I've seen Purdue, but I think Purdue can be had. Purdue's the type of team, and 
I'm going to take the other game too. Virginia Tech, the way they've been playing, I think they'll knock out Texas. So you may have the you may have the 11-14 fight in round two. I have um, Davidson beating Michigan State. I think they're going to rally behind the memory of Steph Curry being at Davidson, <laughs> and I think they're going to do it. Also, I live like um, maybe like a few blocks from chase center. So I've already seen all this shit talk between Draymond and, um, Steph on social media. And I just feel like it, it has to be Davidson. I just feel like that's going to be an upset and I can't wait for Michigan state fans to be all mad about it. Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one. You like, I'm going to give you an upset. You're going to like, I like Michigan over Colorado state. Now, Chelsea quick take. Juwan Howard was a little dust up a couple weeks ago. Was it a little much? <laughs> he did punch someone in the face. I do have to like. <laughs> I don't. I don't follow college basketball as much as I do um, college football. But all my Michigan forums on Facebook and stuff just got crowded with people being like, "You wanted Harbaugh fired, and now you want Howard fired. No one's good enough for you." <laughs> Yeah, so, I'm just like, you need to settle down. He did punch I, someone in the face. So if I did it right, so if I did it right, <laughs> co- coach got it wrong. So coach was a little bit wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, he punched somebody in the face. I don't, I saw the video, like there was some weird shoving thing, but I don't know. The Fab Five is supposed to be like bad boys and stuff. So I guess it fits the whole thing. It's like the only Michigan team that's like, tries to act hard, I feel like. <laughs> I'm kind of conflicted about Juwan Howard and the boys because I was in, I was a student at Northwestern when the Fab Five were at Michigan, and they always used to beat the hell out of us. They used to beat the hell out of everyone except Duke. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, but that was Duke. I wonder how far do you have Duke going? This is Coach K's final year. How far you got? Yeah, Duke? but um. Yeah, I think they're gonna lose in the Sweet Sixteen. So I have, I have Texas Tech beating them. I, have I think that it's gonna one. be it. Wait, oh no, I don't. I have them getting beat by Gonzaga in the Sweet Sixteen. Okay, I'm, I'm, so I'm actually, I'm actually going to that game. Um, I'm going to the two at Chase Center. Nice. Lucky yeah. You. So, who's your regional finals? Who's your final four? Oh, I just want to bring up, I'm going to um, have Loyola Chicago beating Ohio State because of lack of strong Midwestern values. Of course you are. And oh, I used to. Of course to, you are. Yeah. <laughs> but I also have that game. <laughs> okay, good. I, I also have that one because Loyola, I mean, they're just a team. In fact, I have. I Sister have, Jean. I have one Big Ten team getting to the Final Four. Really? I do not. So I just want to know, who are your regional finals, <laughs> your Final Four, who you got? Let's start My, okay. regional, your regional finals. And, you, and you're going to be at Chase Center for this. I have Gonzaga beating Duke. I have right. Arizona beating Tennessee. I have, um, this is a little bit of a crazy one. I have UCLA beating Purdue. And then I have Kansas Ooh. beating Auburn. The only school I believe we agree on is Gonzaga. Yeah. I have, in the West, I have Gonzaga over Duke. In the yeah. East, I have Baylor beating Virginia Tech. I really think the uh, Hokies are going to do something now. Huh. I really, okay. Now, 
In Wait, the, you have an 11 seed getting to the Elite Eight? Yes, I do. That that Virginia Tech huh. team is on a run right huh. now. I I heard that today, but I don't believe it. I okay. I in think the they're going to beat Texas. I think Texas can get humiliated in the first round. And in, in the South, I think that's I have, always fun. Yeah, but in the South, I have Houston over Villanova. I'm telling you, don't first Wait, off, don't beat the Villanova Wildcats. Never count them out. They're the huh. number two seed South, and and have, living in Big East country, and my favorite men's college basketball team in the Big East, I, I get to see a lot of Villanova. And, but I have Houston over Villanova. I have Where Houston. Is Houston, the five seed? Yes, I have. you. The Cougars have got a team that can do something. And they're sneaking under the weeds. And I have Illinois beating them. See, that's the thing. I have Illinois dropping the first round again. To Chattanooga? I see, I see Chattanooga doing that. That Chattanooga team is wow. Built. That Chattanooga team has the size and the ability to play with Illinois. They have the size. I'm not buying Illinois till I see I see another early exit for the Fighting Illini. And in the Midwest. A, a team that I grew up hating but respecting <laughs> against a team that I greatly respect. Kansas-Wisconsin in the regional final. I like Wisconsin. Okay, I, I like could see Wisconsin that. I had throwing that curve. I had them in the Sweet 16, I believe it was. No, the, yeah. Yeah, the Sweet 16. Yeah. I had them losing to Auburn. So now you've got a Final Four. Who goes yes. through? Who wins out? Gonzaga is going to beat UCLA. Arizona is going to beat Kansas. And Gonzaga is going to come back to the national championship and win it. I have Gonzaga avenging last year. Yep. Beating Baylor. And then beating Wisconsin. 79 Oh, so Wisconsin's in the final. Wow. I really like the Badgers. They, they D people up. They can shoot well. They can they can do nitty dirty grimy things to win, but they win. And and it and that's a rough game. I see a rough final four game between them and Houston. I see it like a lot of contrasting styles. And you know, Bert, Bert Sugar said it best: styles make fights. I just want to see. I think UCLA is going to catch on fire during the tournament. Um, I don't know if you're aware. Their number one player, his name is Tiger with a Y. That's yeah. so cool. That's like what it's made for in the like tournament. Someone with like a catchy name, a good look. I think he's, I want him to get drafted by the Warriors. I think he'd be so great on that team. And just like the whole vibe of the team, I think would be so great. Dude. Also, I just want more Bill Walton content. Like that's been <laughs> the best part of searching all this. He's just, he's a fun time. Oh, I would agree with that. Having some, <laughs> having a close-up look at Bill Walton, I'd agree because you never know what. Bill Walton is one of those <laughs> people that's so smart that you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. But every time something comes out of his mouth, it's entertaining. My favorite Bill Walton moment is he's calling a game. It's in the Pac-12 comp- Conference of Champions, and he was. It was just like going down the court, and he has, looks at the other announcer. He's like, "Have you ever seen a volcano?" Just out of nowhere, I'm just like, that's amazing. Exit question. 
Since yeah. we're coming to the home stretch with all the things we talked about and all the mm-hmm. things and it's and it's a lot of stuff and it's been great. Yeah, we covered a bit. Um going back to what's going what's going down. If you had an opportunity to sit down with a Leah Thomas a few hours maybe before the event. Yeah. What would you tell her? I would just say you need to get in the right headspace for yourself and not worry about all the noise because there's always going to be noise, especially when you're one of the first trans people doing things and just really work on your mental health because that's what's going to ultimately allow you to perform at your best. And just really trying to realize that it's so much more mental when you're obviously physically talented enough to get into an elite level, whether it's in porn, whether it's in sports you obviously have those physical intangibles to get to that point but so much of it's just getting into the right headspace and yeah just find out what works for you meditation really works for me just getting fully into my own body and just you know being in the right headspace and just fully being 100 percent present in whatever i'm doing well we're certainly glad to have your 100 percent presence here in the transporter room chelsea poe it's been real. It's been wild. Yeah. I want you back, especially during football season. Oh, yeah. Please, please get when, me back on. When we Hopefully do, not after a loss, but. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you what, just just for you, because I can talk some football with you, which is which makes me extremely happy. happy yeah, I mean, college football. A, when that season when, comes. When we, do, when we do the transporter room. Trans people on college football preview special, which we will do this year. Oh, you no, yeah. you got to be our expert analyst in there. I'm on be, it. I'm down to be our for big expert 10 analyst, hundred percent. I will. To, you have to be our big, our version of the Big Ten Network. Yeah, I'll be the Big Ten Network. <laughs> you know, we have Wisconsin, we have Minnesota, all of them. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Give me then. Then you know what? No bonus question. Or what's your early line on the on Big Ten next year? Early line, who you got? I think I think Michigan 100 percent has it. I think um, JJ McCarthy is hopefully gonna be healthy again. I just feel like they're oh, I think their dual quarterback situation right now is better than it's ever been. I think it's better than when Brady and Henson were there. If they can keep both of them there and not have either of them transfer, and the talent they have in the wide receivers and um. Um, Quorum's coming back um, at running back. I just feel like they're going to be so good. Losing Haskins is going to be really hard, but I just feel like Michigan really has had it clicking lately, and I just feel really confident. But they could lose the first game of the season, and I'll just be like, it's all lies. None of it's true. So <laughs> I think that's what fandom is, just being like hopelessly devoted, but also very ready for the fall. <laughs> Yeah, you know what they say, you haven't truly been a sports fan till the team breaks your heart. Chelsea Poe, oh. thank you for being on the Transporter Room this week. And we're going to beam you back down to Las Vegas because I know you got some creating to do down there. So, Fuck Ohio. <laughs> thank you, Chelsea. And thank you. thanks to all of you for being a part of the Transporter Room. And if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we're doing, please leave a message on our Twitter page, on our Facebook page, and on our Instagram presence. 
Transporter Room 10 forward. Remember, everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do it for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I am Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and study as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.